we are going to dive into a controversial topic. Yes. Yeah. But one that I think needs to be addressed considering what we've been reading here in Revelation 20 in regards to the first resurrection. And so um, we're going to look at what happens when we die. There are ideas out there um, that will say that maybe we just go to sleep and then when the Lord comes back, whenever that is, we just awake. Others say that our soul goes to be with Jesus right away. We're with Him. Um, others say that there is no you, nothing. There's just nothingness. Um, some say that the ungodly, what happens when they die? We're not going to get time to address that this week. We will touch on that next week. There is something called the annihilation theory, that when the ungodly die, they will awake for judgment, but when they are judged, they are simply destroyed and will be no more forever and ever. Um, I'm not necessarily saying I agree with any of those. I'm just saying these are different views that are out there and I think that it's worth examining because these are things that we hear. Um, so as I go through, I'm going to show you some support for more than one view so that you at least understand where it's coming from and then towards the end you're going to see where I've landed on this. But don't think that because I'm giving you a verse in support of one or the other that that's what I believe necessarily right away. Okay. Um, but I want to let scripture speak. And when we look at all of the scriptures that talk about it, then we can maybe uh, be able to come up with a picture looking at more pieces to that puzzle. Um, there's going to be a lot of scripture that we're going to look at. So if you have a pen and paper, tonight would be one to use that so that you can go back and maybe look at these verses and look at further context of these verses, those kind of things, because we are going to cover a lot of them. So, first of all, first thing we need to know is, where does the Spirit go when we die? Now, I know we have ideas, but do we know, can you quote Scripture that tells you where it goes? We do know that dust you are, dust you shall return. That's, you know, oftentimes quoted in many funerals. So it seems like we know where the body goes. But the spirit, we don't really have verses that roll off of our tongue. And one of the big things in my ministry that I keep trying to harp on is this. Where is it found in Scripture? Because we can come up with a lot of ideas, a lot of things that make sense, a lot of things that feel good, a lot of things that we want to be true. But we need Scripture to back it up. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7 says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. We see right at the beginning. I, where is it? I can't remember. Isaiah, wherever it says, I declare the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is yet to come. God declares the end from the beginning. It makes sense that if God made you from dust, you will return to dust. If God gave you the Spirit, that Spirit will return to Him. In Job 34, 
We read here in verses 14 and 15, if he should gather to himself his spirit, speaking of God, and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. So, we have a couple of things there. First of all, I love the fact that it's his spirit. Okay? Our life is not our own, isn't it? We live because Christ lives in us. That without Christ, there is no life in essence, it seems to say here. That without his spirit in you, you would just go to dust. I've used this example many times just as an illustration that um, I, I try and, in my, you know, pea brain, try to figure out if God would, like the atoms, I've told you this before, but in atoms we have electrons and protons and neutrons, and they're all they're, they're spinning around inside that atom. There's movement and energy. And you go, what would happen if that energy in that atom would stop moving? And we really don't know, because we can't get it to stop. Everything is made up of atoms. And sometimes we think, well, if the atom would stop moving inside something that is a solid object, right, that it would just go to dust. Well, that can't be, because you know what dust is? Made up of atoms. Right? And so what would happen if the energy stopped? The closest thing I can come from a, a biblical guess would be what Second Peter says, is that all things are going to go away with a great noise. When the Lord comes back and he removes his spirit from the earth, everything goes away with a great noise. So as we always say, the Big Bang hasn't happened, it's coming. <laughs> so... This, we see in Genesis that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and it seems that he literally does energize the whole universe. Now, I can't give you a scripture that is going to you know, nail that down, but that's how I picture it in my mind, is that every atom, even the dust in the air, God fills it. He is what is there, and if he would remove that, all flesh, all man would return to dust. Now again, dust is there, but he's talking about his spirit in this verse. But what if he pulls it from the earth? If he pulls it from you, you're gone. First Timothy 5, 5 and 6. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. We also have to look at this in understanding where we go, that sometimes the question might not be where do we go, but what does it mean to be dead? Because there are dead men walking right now. Because there is a physical and there is a spiritual. So... Some will say that you could maybe look at this as an example of a computer. If all the parts are there, but it's not plugged in, there's no power, the computer is there just at rest. So if the spirit or that power, in the computer the power is unplugged, or in you the spirit is taken away, the body is at rest. 
There's no animation. There's nothing that can happen to it. So, I don't know. I've never been dead. I know that we're going to understand when we die, but for now, this is what Scripture is telling us. Um, Job, I think, is very important here, though, just as I said, because the Spirit goes back to where it originated, and that is with God. Um, Ecclesiastes, that verse, seems to suggest all spirits, good or bad, would go back to God to await judgment. Now, what does that mean? We'll maybe get into that a little bit here later. But again, maybe these aren't even the real question. Maybe the real question is, does the spirit have consciousness? Because we can say, yeah, the spirit goes there, but is that spirit conscious or not conscious? Those are all questions that need to be done. Um, we're going to just move on, I think, here. Colossians 2.13. And you, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So you, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive. This is one of those examples, just like that last one we looked at, that we can be alive, that our spirit is animating our body, but God considers you dead, spiritually. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses. Sin kills us. Okay, you might be walking around, but sin is death. And I think that ultimately it will end in physical death, but spiritually as well. It says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So, sin, we need to define that again. Sin is what? Lawlessness. Transgression of the law. That's how the Bible defines what sin is. And so, Transgression of the law brings death. That means ultimately, without Christ, every single person on earth is dead. Dead in their sins, unless Christ raises them. Romans 8, 1 through 2. There is there, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. So there's two different things at work here. John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life. Sometimes we can read that and just think, okay, I'm saved, but what is eternal life? Does that begin when you die? It seems this is eternal life, that they may know you, 
the only true God. That when you know God, you enter into eternal life. Now. 1 John 5.20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us his, an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So, as I said, because of sin and the consequences of sin, those apart from Christ are dead men walking. Sin brings you under condemnation of that law. And only in Christ are you freed from that condemnation. This clearly is speaking of the spirit. It will eventually bring death to the body, but we're dealing with a spiritual aspect here. So the question then would be more, is this going to be played out at the end where some rise to eternal life and others to shame and contempt as you're going to see, or does this happen right now? Okay, if our spirit goes back to God when we die, we are in Christ, with Christ. We have eternal life in him. These are all words that are New Testament verses. Your, your life is now in Christ. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. All of these things that make sense if his spirit is in you. And when you die, your spirit returns to him. So belief in God is not just in our mind, but our mind ultimately needs to be consumed by God, which is what causes us to live a godly life. But I think sometimes we think that belief in God is just like something that we have to understand in our mind. It isn't. It is something where our mind is then consumed by God. John 6 talks about this. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life. Not will have, but has. And... I will raise him up at the last day. So not only do you have eternal life now, but there's also something to look forward to at the last day, a resurrection. When does the resurrection take place, though? At the last day. Some look at eternal life as being something that begins when we die, when we get to go to be with the Lord, or when you are resurrected. But the scriptures say you've already got it. Because Christ's spirit is in you. So it seems that there is life now and something to look forward to. So I'm going to show you some more verses here um, in regards to this spiritual uh, life. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. When scripture says that you're not going to die, it's not talking about your first death, it's talking about the second death, I believe. 
because clearly I know many people who have believed in Yeshua but their body is in the ground so when he says you will not see the second or you will not see death he's not talking about the physical he's talking about a spiritual death this is the very thing that we're reading in Revelation right now the second death and the second death is indeed destruction. We'll talk about what that means later. But when you are thrown into the lake of fire, Revelation says the lake of fire is the second death. So if you know Jesus, in essence what he's saying is you will never be thrown into the lake of fire. That's a pretty big, big deal. You have eternal life now. But at the resurrection, when the body is raised, it will not experience a second death. Okay? One problem with the idea that there is no consciousness when we die, because some say that, all right, well, this is all saying, at the last day, you will be resurrected. Now, I think this is kind of an important point. If we just simply go and be with the Lord right now, when you die, boom, now you're with God. What do you have to wait for? What's there to look forward to? You're with God. I don't care if the resurrection takes place. I'm happy. I'm with God. See what I'm saying? It almost seems like you've reached the pinnacle. But clearly, all of these verses and more we're going to see are going to say it's at the last day that we rise up. There is a reward in something that we are waiting for that will not come until he comes back. But one problem with the idea that we die and then we're not conscious of anything, and I'm going to show you some verses that can support that, is 2 Peter, where Jesus, when he dies, he goes and he preaches to the Spirit's in prison who died long ago in the days of Noah, or disobeyed long ago in the days of Noah. There we see that he went and proclaimed his victory to people who would be unconscious then. Seems to be a waste of time. Right? In John 8, 51 through 53, I, I didn't put it up here, but Jesus says that those who obey him will never see death. Just another example of that, again, talking about the second death. We know that Yeshua, Jesus, is the firstborn among the dead. Was he, if his life is an example of us, was he unconscious when his body was put in the grave? Or was he conscious? I mean, I know it's kind of hard to maybe compare us to Jesus, but I would think that there would be, since he came as a man to take your punishment upon himself, that he is doing kind of what you would do. I don't think he was unconscious. Are you speaking of consciousness as we know it? We'll get to that. I, I, I don't think consciousness quite like we know it, but at least aware of what's going on. Not, basically not sleeping to where you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning and you didn't have any dreams and like, oh, okay, new day. 
because that's kind of the view of some people is that you die and it's just like it's but a moment you don't even realize that you wake up and you're at the resurrection because you're sleeping and at rest how does this theory deal with the martyrs under the altar saying how long right in revelation 5 we saw all those who had been slain how long O lord until you uh basically avenge our death yeah, it seems to be some consciousness there. Which, again, these are all verses that will suggest that. We're going to show you some that may suggest otherwise. And that's what makes this maybe worth discussing and not such a, you know, reject the other ideas that are out there. Um, when Jesus died, he did not take an, on eternal punishment for us. He only took on death for us. And I think that he did die and has given anybody who is willing, anyone who, whom the Father would draw, a opportunity. But he did not take on punishment for us, in a sense. He went and took on death, the punishment of death he took. But anyway, I, I, I'm just going to leave it at that. Anyway, let's look at a little bit more of this idea though of consciousness when you die isaiah 14 9 this is speaking of satan ultimately it says hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming it stirs up the dead for you all the chief ones of the earth it has raised up from the earth, their thrones all the kings of the nations they all shall speak and say to you have you also become weak as we are have you become like us your pomp is brought down to Sheol. The sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you. Worms cover you. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'll sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I'll ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of the prisoners? Even here we see that Satan, again now, maybe people will say, well, this is angels or whatever, but yet it seems like those who see him even stare at him. They're conscious, they're aware. Now, one of the verses I, I love about this is it stirs up the dead for you. In some verses, uh, it talks about they rise up to meet you. And you think... In, when I read that, I remember at first kind of picturing this idea, Satan goes to hell and all his little minions are coming up, rising up to give him honor. No, 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 no. There's no honor in hell. They rise up because you think about, you, you did this to me. You're the one that deceived me. They're going to be mad. And so when they rise up to meet him, this is not a welcome party. But anyway, Isaiah here speaking of that definitely seems to, uh, you know, not sound like sleeping souls to me. On the other hand, if we go to be with the Lord right away when we die, 
as I said, what's the point of looking forward to the resurrection? If we already are there, there's no need for a resurrection. Um, in our Revelation chapter, in chapter 20, talking about this millennial thousand years, what does it mean to come to life before the thousand years? And then after the thousand years, we said the rest of the dead come. I explained last time that I think what that means is the ungodly rise after that thousand years. But I think, from my understanding, all the righteous are going to rise for that first period. The rest of the dead are the ungodly. Okay, um, why is a resurrection needed for eternal rewards if Jesus is the reward and we are with him? Okay, I just, it, that's one thing that is, I think, kind of important. Isaiah 26, 19, Your dead shall live, together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Here we see, it now seems to be saying like, yeah, you are sleeping, awake. Awake and sing. James 2, 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Job 34. If he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. Similar to what we looked at there before. That turning to dust is the problem. The solution is the resurrection. Okay, so just kind of keep that in mind. Job 21, 26 says, They lie down alike in the dust, and worms cover them. Very similar like Isaiah, talking about Satan. The worms are going to cover you. Uh, you know, maggots are spread out beneath you. That doesn't seem like being at rest. Here, lying down in the dust, worms covering you, it can be, maybe. You know, well, it's just the body decaying. You're not conscious of that. You know, you might be able to say that. Psalm 22, 15, though. Uh, this is that, you know, Psalm 22, a very powerful messianic picture of Christ. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cl uh, clings to the jaws. My jaws, you have brought me to the dust of death. That he was going to, his body was going to go into the grave. But what's interesting about that is, now again, this is a psalm speaking of Christ, but we see as well that Jesus' body, he did not see decay. Right? Psalm 103.14, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Psalm 104, verse 29, you hide your face, they are troubled, you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Again, dust is the problem, resurrection is the solution. Um, this pattern is over and over in scripture. We could look at so many verses that will talk about this very thing. The problem is nothing in scripture out there really is said of a living spirit and that we are like ghosts just you know roaming about needing a body to fill we see that kind of in essence of angels or demons remember legion um, they, it's like they need a place to inhabit a host we also see as well that in the parable that Jesus talks about where he says that there are those who, uh, that, you know, when he cast out the demons, they go 
looking for a house basically to be in. And so there's, it's almost like it needs something, but it's certainly not at rest. Um, so Sheol is another question. We've looked at the parable before in Luke and where it talks about when someone dies, uh, Abraham and the rich man, if someone being the, uh, uh, not Abraham, Lazarus and the rich man, this rich man goes to what it seems to be a lower part of Sheol. The Bible doesn't necessarily say that. They both just say, it says they go to Sheol. The way I've understood it, right or wrong, I don't know, but that there was a lower part and an upper part as described in that parable where a chasm was placed in between them. And these people underneath could clearly see up above. There's no indication that the people up above could see down below. Um, those who want to say, well, there is no consciousness in death, will basically say, well, this is a parable, so it's just poetic language, and we can't really get any understanding of what happens when we die because of that. Possibly. That, that may be a good argument. Okay. Um, Isaiah 26.16 is an example of that same type of thing, if you're right, taking notes. But anyway, there doesn't seem to be any references with consciousness for dead people, really, in Scripture, outside of what I've kind of shown you here. Um, we're going to talk about more of that later. But here's one of the interesting aspects to me about not being conscious. In Psalm 30, verse 9, it says, What profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Basically, the dust, speaking of you, are not going to be able to praise God. It doesn't seem like you can praise God when you're in the pit or Sheol, the place of the dead. If you were a conscious spirit, don't you think that's all you'd want to do? That you're going to want to praise God? Well, and that is one argument, is that this is an Old Testament verse before Jesus died, before he, as what I think happened, he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who he went to the lower parts of Sheol, and then took the people in the good parts of Sheol, Abraham, all the people of faith, and he led them uh, in his train when he ascended. Where is he taking them, though? It's interesting that in the New Testament, it says that when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. Is that talking about the men that are still alive? Is it talking about the men? It also says that when he ascended, he led captive, captivity captive, or he led, captive, um, led captives in his train. Something happened when he ascended. Something happens, we see in Matthew 27, that when Jesus dies, the dead come out of their graves. Certainly they seem to have some consciousness. So, those who say that we're, you know, just sleeping and not conscious will say things like, Satan lied to us in the garden and said, oh, you're not going to die. And they'll say, is, is Satan still using that same lie for us today? That you're not really going to die. 
when you die, you don't die. You're with the Lord. That's a lie. Yeah, I think that's a very bad argument, but I'm just saying that's what they will say. Um, but anyway, I think the point being here is that if you're conscious, you'd think you'd be praising God, and this seems to indicate that the dead don't praise God. But again, that's Old Testament too. Job 3, 11 through 19. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me or why the breasts that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest. With kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver? Or why was I not hidden like the stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. So, it says the wicked can't trouble us because we're at rest. Whether, you, you know, they're asleep, whether rich or poor. Even the wicked seem to be at rest. No consciousness in this verse. Now, we could easily say, well, that's Job, and so on. Well, Job seemed to understand Jesus quite well. He says that in my flesh I will see my Redeemer. That also matches what Scripture says in First uh, Samuel 28. When Saul calls to the seer to draw up Solomon, he says, why hast thou disquieted me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because he was at rest. Why did you disturb me? Okay. Um, legion, again, Matthew 8, when it talks about legion, the, the demons say, why have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Now, keep in mind, they aren't in Sheol. It seems to be that God treats the angels a little different, that he put them in a place called Tartarus, that is used in Second Peter. So when there's three different words that we could look at, and I don't remember if I'm going to get to it or not, but there's Sheol, Gehenna, and uh, Hades. Sheol is just the place of the dead. Good or bad, all went there. Okay, this Hades or Tartarus, really, is what it is, is a holding place where Second Peter talks about it, and this is where they were locked up. For a, until a, a time, uh, Peter mentions it that they were, you know, locked up in gloomy dungeons, and so that seems to be a, a different place. And then there is Gehenna, which is like where we get the Valley of uh, Gehenna, or there's the Hinnom Valley outside of Jerusalem, and they would basically, it seems to be, take out dead animals and carcasses, and they would burn them there, which seems to be a very vivid symbolic picture of hell the destruction of the body the burning and the maggots and the worms and all of that kind of thing but we'll maybe talk about where those verses are used later because there aren't very many that use Gehenna or Tartarus but anyway um, making you know these at rest Job 7:21. why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity for now I will lie down in the dust and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. Job 14, 10 through 14. But man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last. And where is he? As water disappears from the sea and a river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise till 
the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. It seems to be very poignant there. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me at a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. Now, maybe he didn't understand everything clearly, which is quite possible, but this is the inspired word of God. This isn't just Job writing. This is God's word. Why would Job not say, until my Redeemer comes, until the Messiah comes? But he says, I will not rise till the heavens are no more. Now, maybe he's only talking about the body resurrection. But he says, if a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. Okay, I, I can see it going both ways that, yeah, I, I'm just talking about my body, but there will be a physical resurrection because he acknowledged that when he said that he'll see his Redeemer with his own eyes. So... Um, but those who say you're just sleeping say, you know, you can see how they would get it from this. Job 19.25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at, la at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. This is an incredible picture of the resurrection right there. He knew there was a physical resurrection. But some would say that this is only after the resurrection when our consciousness then returns to the body. Until that point, he's at rest. Um, some would also say maybe that's why Lazarus, you know, he's raised from the dead and we hear nothing of it. You know, you think, uh, what was it like? Nothing. Right? There's no, no record of him saying, oh, man, it was amazing, guys. <laughs> they would say, because he was just at rest. He was unconscious. They'll say that the word rest itself, it's the same word used in the Sabbath, that we are to have a Sabbath rest. It means to decease or cease from your work. To decease. And so that when we die, we're at rest. Again, I could see that very easily being something like, well, I'll tell you what, if I'm not having to go about this and I'm just you know, resting with the Lord, that's still rest. If I'm resting in sleep, that's rest. Whatever it is, it's rest. So I'm not going about working anymore. So either way, I could see it going either way on that. Um, Ecclesiastes 9, verses 2 through 5, All things come like, a, like alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices, to him who does not sacrifice. All, as is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath, as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. One thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. 
and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. The dead know nothing. Unconscious, you might say. It's interesting. Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Uh, there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. So enjoy life while you can, because in the grave, no knowledge, no device, no wisdom. Kind of an interesting verse. Psalm 6.5, For in death there is no remembrance of you in the grave, who will give you thanks? Again, I want you to understand that this is Old Testament before the Messiah came and before Jesus went and preached to the spirits. And before, it seems that I think, he brought people to the first fruit offering to the Father in heaven. Yeah, and we're going to be getting to that too, yeah, yeah. But these verses at least seem to agree with what Job was talking about and, and the reward being at the resurrection, not before then. So, I don't know. Uh, again, here in Psalm 6, David's saying that in death you don't praise God. If we're conscious in death, again, wouldn't that be something that we'd want to be doing? Psalm 13.3, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. I mean, tons of verses that just talk about sleep. Psalm 17.15, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. You're sleeping and then you awake. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. Psalm 115.17. Psalm 146, 3 through 4, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. So again, uh, in some translations, this word plans here uh, is translated thoughts. Your thoughts perish. About consciousness. Daniel 12, 2. You're going to be very similar to basically John 5 here. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Well, when is this? This is clearly talking about in the future, in the resurrection, at the resurrection, after the cross, after the ascension. And he says that some are going to awake. And when you awake, what do you get? Well, some get everlasting life. And others, shame and everlasting contempt. That's kind of interesting as well. That it seems like you're sleeping until a res the resurrection. And when you awake, there's a judgment that's going to take place. You either awake to everlasting life, or you're going to awake to shame and everlasting contempt. Okay. 1 Kings 2.10, David slept with his fathers. Uh, Acts 2 talks about David, and he, he did not ascend into the heavens. Acts 13, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Okay? Uh, 
David saw corruption, but Jesus did not. Again, it could be just a description of death as both good and evil are going to go to sleep and there's no mention of him being with the Lord yet either, but, you know, it depends on how you look at it. Uh, John 11, 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go and awake him. Acts 7, 60, then Stephen knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Talking about death. 1 Corinthians 15, 6. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Now again, this could just be a phrase like, kick the bucket, you know, bought the farm, you know. But it's interesting that this is how the Bible describes death. Over and over and over and over again. Daniel 12.2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. We kind of looked at that. I'm showing it to you again because some to shame and everlasting contempt. Some will say, the annihilists, that some are going to awake to shame. When they awake, they're ashamed. Then they're going to be destroyed, but they don't have everlasting contempt. They'll say, notice the word everlasting isn't applied to the shame. The everlasting is applied to, applied to the contempt. Meaning, the godly will always have contempt for them for an eternity. They, awake to shame, are destroyed, and the godly have everlasting contempt for the ungodly. That's how they will define that. I think that might be a stretch, but that's just so you know what's out there. Isaiah 66, 24, They shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm does not die, their fire is not quenched. They shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. Well, I know that the hope of the resurrection, more than the hope of death, uh, means more this way. There are many times that we think, oh, I just can't wait to die. Because I'm tired of the evil, I'm tired of the work, I just want to be at rest. And that seems nice. But ultimately, what we hope for is not death. We hope for the resurrection. And I think it's important to see that there is a distinction between those two things. We often think, oh, they die, now they're in heaven, they're with the Lord. No, they're not in heaven. Not the heaven described that we're about to read in Revelation 21 and 22. That doesn't come until he comes back. Okay, What it is, we'll touch again, but just note that it is kind of important to see there is a difference here. Um, at least in these verses, everlasting life begins at the resurrection. We already showed you other verses, though, that seem to say you have it now. But is it different? Um, I do think, like I said, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that explanation of the contempt is the only thing that's everlasting. But nonetheless, I... I think it's important to look at that word everlasting contempt. If it applies to that shame, everlasting. The fire is not quenched. It never goes out. The worm never dies. I can't understand, and I think that this is the problem with 
I'm kind of jumping ahead to next week, but with the annihilist idea that you're just destroyed and that's it. Because, I mean, what, do the worms eat you forever and ever and ever? Are they, you know, not going to get filled up? What? It doesn't make sense in our mind. But there's a lot of things that I doesn't make sense in my mind. How in heaven can there be no tear? No pain? No sorrow? I mean, am I never going to trip? I mean, there will never be anything that I'm going to stub my toe on or something that can fall. Is gravity going to be, you know, taken away? You know, I, it's hard for me to understand that, too. There will be no death. You mean I'll never step on an ant? I mean, they're they just going to see me coming from a mile away and avoid me? What, you know, all these kind of things. I don't think we have to have that solved in our mind. Okay? I think that, yeah, if you're going to be in everlasting torment, I don't have to make sense of it in my mind how that can happen. But like I said, we'll talk about that more later. John 5.28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. It seems like they're not hearing his voice right now. And come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. That time is talking about the resurrection here. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Going back to that, what I was telling you before, if Christ is a model and he's living out our life for us in a sense, he died, he resurrected, it's saying, hey, just as he died, just as he resurrected, you're going to do it, then why also wouldn't it be that while he was dead and he was proclaiming things, that we too wouldn't have some sort of consciousness while we are dead? If you're going to compare Jesus' death and resurrection, okay, Verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, if in this life only we have hope in Christ. We are all, of all men, the most pitiable. But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Afterward, those who are in Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to the God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So, Keep that in mind as we look at Romans 8.23. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This is talking about the resurrection. 
What are we waiting for? Not to die and go be with the Lord. We're waiting for the resurrection, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Our hope is not getting done with this life. Our hope is in Christ producing or giving us a resurrection. The hope that is seen is no hope at all. That means we don't have it yet. Who hopes for what they already have? So we are awaiting the redemption of our bodies. It seems that we already have a redemption of our spirit. And so when we have everlasting life now, I think that's talking about a spiritual thing. Your body doesn't have that everlasting life now, but the spirit does. So, where there, where is our hope if there is no resurrection? And, you know, we're just already raised in the spirit. You might look at it this way. I mean, right now, if we're already raised in the spirit, we have life because of Jesus. And yet we still have all these trials and struggles and that because we're in this flesh. And we, we, this flesh needs to die. It needs to be sowed corruptible so that it can be raised incorruptible. And then the saying that is you know, said will be true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. When? At the last trumpet. We talked about that in Revelation 11. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. The mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall we be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Again, point being, there's something that we should, the goal isn't just to finish our 50, 80, 100 year lifespan, to die, to be with the Lord. When scripture's talking about our hope and what we're supposed to be looking for, it isn't the end of this life. It's the beginning of that one. But I think we do have an idea that, hey, when you die, it's over. We got it. We, woo, we finished it. We accomplished it. It was going to go early. <laughs> but again, our eyes should be fixed on Jesus and the resurrection. There's something greater that our hope should be set on. Revelation 21, 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And ultimately, I think that's hell. We'll get to that when we get to Revelation 21. But we are going to be united with our sleeping brothers and sisters in Christ at the resurrection. 
Are you conscious now or not? I think so. I think that when the Bible talks about sleep, that it is like you kick the bucket. I think because of those verses that I've mentioned, that Jesus was conscious when he died, that Revelation 5, before the altar, they're crying, How long, O Lord? That some others that are coming up, Paul desiring to depart and be with the Lord. All of these things, which kind of brings you to 1 Thessalonians 4.13, to the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. At that point, I think that's when it is in your body you will be with the Lord. There's going to be something special about that. And so while I do think you're conscious, personally, because of those scripture verses, I understand why some people think you're not, because of the other verses that we've looked at. But I think that because of Christ, there's something new than what we see in the Old Testament there before he came. Some people will say the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. But again, that depends on where you put the comma. And the comma is not there in the original. Did he say, truly, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Or did he say, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Two completely different meanings, and you can't tell from that. So, I don't know if that it can really be used. It can be used for either side. But we know Jesus wasn't in paradise that day. That was the other thing, is, yeah. is people will say, wait a minute, he, you know, he says this, but he descended, and he said, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise? Well, Jesus wasn't in paradise that day. Because you've got three days later, he resurrects, but he descends, proclaims, my answer to that is, how long did it take him to go descend, proclaim his victory, and then go up? Or, you know, allow him to be there? As well as, we can't think if Jesus is in that form, he can only be in one spot at one time. Right? Well, that too, yeah. But, bottom line, Depends on what you want to believe. You can you can see either one there, can't you? Okay. Um, let's see. Again, we touched on Lazarus just being a parable. Second Corinthians five one through nine. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. We're desiring to be clothed with this new body. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For, he, for we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, in this tent, 
we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. So if you're present with him, and you're unconscious, how can you be well-pleasing to him? Kids are angels when they're sleeping. Kids are angels when they're sleeping. All right. <laughs> Philippians, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Is he just talking about, hey, I'm done with my work, and now I can go to sleep and wait? I don't know. But if I live on the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. I'll tell you, I can't see how this is just talking about being resting from his labor. I personally think that this is, this is a guy who knew Jesus, who spent time with him. Now, not initially, but remember, after he had his life-changing experience, he went out and spent three years with Jesus in the, in the desert, he says. And so, this is a guy who spent time with Jesus. And he's saying, I desire to depart and be with him. I don't think that he felt like, uh, I desire to depart and go to sleep and just wait for the resurrection. So, while I understand this idea of soul sleep, from some of these other scriptures. I think you have to take into consideration the Old Testament versus the New, before Christ and after. I think you have to take into consideration just the way we talk and in a way to understand and describe things to people like kicking the bucket, going, fell asleep. At the same time, we have to acknowledge all of these verses that talk about Awaking at the resurrection over and over and over and over again. You will not awake until the resurrection to receive the incorruptible, immortal body. There will be no physical resurrection until Jesus comes back. And I think scripture is clear enough to say that we should long for that. That that's where our hope is. And so, yes, it will be nice to depart and be with Christ, to, to be able to, to be in his presence somehow, however that is. I don't know. But I think there's enough scripture to say you're going to be with him. If I'm wrong and it's soul sleep, I look at it this way. That if indeed it's like you sleep, you can be sleeping for eight hours or whatever. Or most of us wish we could get that, right? You can be sleeping for eight hours, you wake up and you don't know that it has passed. Sometimes it seems like you just went to sleep. And that it could be like that. That you go to sleep and it's like instantaneous. You wake up, even though a thousand years has passed, to you it was like a moment. I was just there on earth and here I'm with you. Okay, I don't know, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. What matters is that your hope is in Jesus and what he has done. But I do know that when the Bible is talking about this first resurrection, that is going to be a physical, bodily resurrection 
for you. And that is something we are to long for, look forward to. And I think it's because we have our eyes on us that so many times we're looking for just the end of this ticket to get off of this train in the flesh. That's because our eyes are on the wrong thing. Our eyes are supposed to be on him. And then it doesn't matter how many days we have left here. As a matter of fact, if anything, we should say like Paul, though I desire to be with the Lord, I find it important that I be serving him here. I've been called to do a job. And every day I have on earth is a day to go and tell somebody about Yeshua Jesus. That is, I think, what the whole point is about. You can look at other things like Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration appearing. Okay? Moses and Elijah, why are they there? Shouldn't they just be sleeping? Well, those are a special case, they might say, right? Um, we have all of this, and others will say this. When Jesus is coming down the mountain and the disciples ask them about this, he says, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And so they'll say, well, that was just a vision, not reality. Okay? I, I think it was reality. I, I think Moses and Elijah were there. They just got to see it in the vision or whatever. But... Uh, they're coming back. The Bible says that at least the two witnesses are coming back. We talked about that in Revelation 11. Concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what is spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. Abraham, Isaac, they're not dead. And you may say, well, that's just spiritual. But I don't know. I, I think that they are there. Even in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, they went to Abraham's bosom. Not went to Abraham's, you know, lying body to, to be there, you know? That's a little creepy. Uh, all of these verses kind of talk bosom, about that. Wasn't Abraham's bosom a figurative thing? I think it was probably kind of a figurative thing, but it meant to be with him, not... I don't think it meant to just go to Sheol, but to be with him, your forefather, ultimately. So, God's promises are sure. Uh, Revelation 6, 9, uh, again, we talked about that as well, um, so I won't go over that. I'm going to try and finish up here in the next minute or two. The Witch of Endor, we brought that one up too, so just another verse, you know, Samuel uh, there, but again, Old Testament. Isaiah, awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, enter your chambers, shut the doors behind you, hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants. What I want you to see is this. There will be an immediate resurrection, whether we are conscious or unconscious, when the Lord comes back. And when he does, at that first resurrection, as we've been talking about in Revelation here then, part of the reason, and this is kind of a good verse for what we've been discussing in the book of Revelation, it's at the resurrection, the dead shall live. Then you have punishment being dealt out. But notice what happens to us. It says, hide yourself, enter your chambers, while God's wrath goes out. Remember what we've been talking about is it seems all of these verses saying, 
that when we rise, God takes us to Jerusalem, to Zion. He becomes that hoopah over us, a protection, while wrath is going to take place. All the armies, all the nations come up against us, come up against Jerusalem, but God's word goes out. And I think that that's uh, a good picture of that there. Um, again, all of these verses, you can just write them down if you want. I'm not going to go over them, but at the resurrection, at the resurrection, at the resurrection, the rewards are going to be repaid when? At the resurrection. The punishment, when? At the resurrection. So, right now, if you die and you are with the Lord in paradise, let me tell you this, you haven't gotten your rewards yet. That's something to look forward to as well. At least it better be. If you haven't been, you know, working for the Lord on this life, there won't be a lot. You'll be with the Lord, but again, there are blessings in investment in your life right now for the Lord. You're investing in the kingdom of God. This is why he talks about the parable. You know, uh, he, he gives this man one talent and this man two talents. And, you know, go and invest it. And those who, who, who just keep it and hide it, all right, well, yeah, you get to keep it. But others, they get more, right? Just examples and parables that way. Um, John 5, again, we looked at those. Uh, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, they come uh, or resurrected those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. My last verse here in Revelation 20, this is the whole point of us talking about this. I saw thrones and they that sat on them. Judgment was committed to them. You have been resurrected not only to re be rewarded, but also... Do you not know that you will judge the world? That the saints are going to also judge the world. We talked about that earlier. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. Remember, we've talked about that mark isn't just something in the future. Everybody has a mark of the beast moment whether it was my grandma and grandpa, or whether it was somebody that lived in the 1300s, everybody has had a choice to have a mark of the beast moment. Do I choose the mark of the devil on my hand and my forehead, or do I take the law of God, his word that is on our hands? He, he says, bind it on your hands, put it on your forehead. It is not some physical symbol that we're taking. It is the very real choice to follow God or not follow God. That's your mark of the beast moment. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. I believe that this first thousand years, you're resurrected, but the judgment doesn't, the full judgment has not taken place yet. You're going to see that coming up. The first resurrection, you're rising, you're reigning with Christ, there's rewards or something, but the second, the rest of the dead are the ungodly. That's the way I see it. They are rising up not to have a nice time, but to be judged by you, 
by, by Jesus, really ultimately by Jesus and his authority through you. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. If you are a part of the first resurrection, that means the resurrection of the dead, for godly people, then hell has no power over you. You're not going to die. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So, I've given you kind of my idea of what it is. Um, we're going to get into Revelation 21 and 22 coming up. I, I think it's important, um, this eighth day resurrection. We've been talking about the seven days of creation and how I think this in Revelation 20 is day number seven. Day number eight, the eighth day of creation as it's often called, a new beginning is going to be chapters 21 and 22. That one goes on forever and ever. But there is an end to day number seven. But day eight, forever and ever. So we'll look at that next time. So I think that is it. But also, I guess uh, that's why circumcision, I think, was on the eighth day as well. Kind of a new beginning kind of message, uh, a new heart. Um, so anyway, like I said, we'll talk about that later. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And we've looked at a lot of verses here tonight. And we may not have all the answers, and I'm okay with that. But Lord, it is a joy to be able to search these matters out, to look at your word and to just contemplate what it will be like to be with you. God, whether we are sleeping and just, you know, immediately there, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. All I know is that we're going to be with you. And there is going to be a resurrection of this body, one that is going to be perfect, one that doesn't need to sneak out at Bible study, one that doesn't need to, <laughs> to suffer through pains and, and trials, but one that is at rest and immortal, peaceful, and one that is going to be praising you forever and ever and ever. In the meantime, we ask that you would just let us have that attitude of praise in our hearts. That we would not have our eyes fixed on us and the trials and tribulations that we want to escape. But rather, that we set and fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And say, Lord, what next? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? Thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to serve you. Use me, Lord. Use us that we would spend our time on this earth wisely, that we would invest in things that matter. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.